right. This is another talk in the Zen Mind Beginner's Mind series that we're doing that is very long because there's many chapters. And we are on the chapter of no dualism, which is interesting. It's definitely special to me because dualism, non-dualism is something that I got really interested in when I first started to learn about Buddhism. And actually, my husband searched in OkCupid the words non-dualism, and there's only one person that came up, and it was me. So definitely <laughs> integral to my life and my relationship. But a very pretentious thing to have in your dating profile on the internet. <laughs> didn't didn't give me much luck until I met my husband. And not something I I think about even then. I'm I'm not even sure what I thought about it. Uh not something I think about on a daily basis. I don't sit and I'm just like, oh let's let's think about non-dualism or so it's a rather pretentious thing. But what does it actually mean? And how does it affect our daily life? And how does it affect our practice? And like, to answer what it means, like to explore what it means, even though you all might have your own ideas, I would say, like, the, imagine a Venn diagram. It's like the, the middle of the Venn diagram is no dualism. And that is Buddhism believes that the truth at the center of everything, that reality as it is, is not this or that, but this is. Like everything is. We we are very binary humans. We're we like to think uh, maybe it helped us survive jaguars eating us or whatever back in the day. But we like to think very separate things. Um, we separate ourselves into boxes: old, young, tall, short, male, female, skinny, fat, ugly, beautiful, Buddhist, not Buddhist. Whatever you want to say, we separate ourselves into these little boxes, and we think very binary good and evil. But the Buddhism believes that the truth is both. Neither one or the other, but also both and also neither. Um, and that's something that is really hard to intellectually wrap your mind around, intellectually understand. You can, actually, I think it is intellectually easy to understand. I take that back, but it's hard to actually understand. I think it's easy to say, yes, yes, of course, of course. But to actually put into practice in our life, to actually truly believe it in our in our bodies, non-dualism is is a very tricky thing because we're so trained to believe in in one or the other. And even in Buddhism, I think what this what this chapter is actually about is all the ways in which we can practice dualism as Buddhists, wrongfully so. And I, it's interesting that this chapter is in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. It's it's obviously very applicable to beginners, beginners of all levels and experiences. We're all beginners always. But it does seem aimed at someone who's thought about Zen a lot and practice Zen for a while. It's aimed at someone who who knows the basic sort of tenets of Buddhism, and it's in a way a warning to Zen practitioners of how they can believe they're practicing non-dualism and still fall into dualistic ideas. So let's get into it. Shinri Suzuki, author of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, says... We say our practice should be without gaining ideas, without any expectations, even of enlightenment. This does not mean, however, just to sit without purpose. This practice, free from gaining ideas, is based on the Prajnaparamita Sutra, the Heart Sutra. 
However, if you are not careful, the sutra itself will give you a gaining idea. It says, form is emptiness and emptiness is form. But if you attach to that statement, you are liable to be involved in dualistic ideas. Here is you, form, and here is emptiness, which you are trying to realize through your form. So form is emptiness and emptiness is form is still dualistic. But fortunately, our teaching goes on to say, form is form and emptiness is emptiness. Here, there is no dualism. So the Heart Sutra is something we chant often on retreat, at the, at the center. When we chant, we chant the Heart Sutra usually. And it's this something that can seem very formalized and very esoteric and very, oh, of course, rare routine. But the Heart Sutra is actually, you know, when you look at it, this very punk rock manifesto that basically says everything that you have that Buddhism has given to you and told you is true, I'm taking that away. Everything that, you know, your eyes and ears have given to you, that your sense of self has given to you, I'm taking that away. No eyes, no ears, no tongue, no body, no mind. That's that n none of that. You don't get any of that. And it also says, and that as a Buddhist, I feel like you're like, oh, no, not self, no self. I sort of can get with that. But then the Heart Sutra goes on to say, no suffering, no cause, no cessation, no path. So all of that, the, the four noble truths, the, the tenets of Buddhism, what Buddha, you know, sat down under the, you know, when he got up from the Bodhi tree and passed on to the, his first disciples, the four noble truths, the Heart Sutra is taking that away from you. And so what does that mean? What do we have left when we have nothing? When we have no, none of these tenets, we have Prajnaparamita, we have the reality as it is, we have no dualism. So even that punk rock sutra, that sutra that is taking all these things away from you, that is taking the Four Noble Truths away from you, that tells you not to grasp onto anything, even that can give you a dualistic idea because you can get attached. And I, you know, guilty, I've been attached to this idea of what I love the line, very famous line of the Heart Sutra, Form is emptiness and emptiness is form, right? Okay, that's this, this grand thing. Form is emptiness and emptiness is form. That, that to me, when chanting it, when reading it, feels like truth with a capital C. And what does that mean? That's a whole nother talk. But form is emptiness and emptiness is form. That there's emptiness at the heart of all form and there's form at the heart of all emptiness. That this form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Okay. That feels like it's non-dualism, right? It's saying form is emptiness, but emptiness is also form. But Shonri Suzuki is saying, if you attach to that, you're liable to be involved in dualistic ideas. Here's you form, and here's emptiness, which you're trying to realize through your form. So even that, that which seems like the pinnacle of no dualism, form is emptiness, emptiness form, is a gaining idea, our attachment to that, our attachment to, to that, philosophical idea is dualistic. But as Shonri Suzuki goes on to say, our teaching goes on, form is form and emptiness is emptiness. And who who is saying that to us if it's not the Heart Sutra? Because the Heart Sutra doesn't say that, but Dogen does. So in the Shobogenzo, I chose the Tanahashi translation. When Dogen talks about the Heart Sutra, he says, to expound this teaching, it is said in the Mahaprajna Paramita Heart Sutra that form is emptiness and emptiness is form. Form is form, emptiness is emptiness, 100 grasses are thus, myriad forms are thus. 
So Dogen goes on to say form is form, emptiness is emptiness. So Shinjizuki is is quoting from the, the fathers in our teaching. You know, the Heart Sutra had been around for a long time by the time Dogen was practicing in the 1200s. And it was already becoming a dualistic idea for the monks, the people practicing this. And so Dogen felt the need to go on to say, form is form and emptiness is emptiness. So that's, I think, the, the cornerstone of no-dualism, that you can't even hold on to uh, non-dualism, that non-dualism can be dualistic. So if you're sitting and you're chanting the Heart Sutra and you're like, okay, form is emptiness, emptiness is form, you have to go back to form is form, emptiness is emptiness. Even the teaching you feel like is false or, oh, those people that believe that, that, that emptiness isn't form and all that stuff, that is part of the truth as well. The non-dualism encompasses everything, encompasses contradictions, encompasses all of it, is a really difficult thing to, to grasp, but is the reality at the heart of the matter. So Shonen Suzuki goes on to say, when you find it difficult to stop your mind while you are sitting, and when you are still trying to stop your mind, this is the stage of formless emptiness, and emptiness is form. But while you are practicing in this dualistic way, more and more you have oneness with your goal. And when your practice becomes effortless, you can stop your mind. This is the stage of form is form and emptiness is emptiness. So good news. It is very difficult to not practice in a dualistic way, not practice attached to these, these Buddhist ideas that we treasure, that we feel like is truth with a capital T. Form is emptiness and emptiness is form. It's very hard to sit without being attached to that. But part of the practice of sitting with this gaining idea is more and more we can we let go of this gaining idea and so finally good news our practice becomes effortless we can stop our mind and we finally reach the stage of form is form and emptiness emptiness true no dualism not false non-dualism so to stop your mind, Shinri Suzuki goes on to say, does not mean to stop the activities of mind. It means your mind pervades your whole body. Your mind follows your breathing. With your full mind, you form the mudra in your hands. With your whole mind, you sit with painful legs without being disturbed by them. This is to sit without any gaining idea. At first, you feel some restriction in your posture, but when you are not disturbed by this restriction, you have found the meaning of emptiness is emptiness and form is form. So to find your own way under some restriction is the way of practice. That sounds like a truth about, about Zen, that Zen is finding your own way under some restriction. The, the Zazen instruction that Dave gives at the beginning of this is, is some restriction, right? The, the bowing, the turning, what to turn, how to sit, that is some restriction. Um, and finding your own way under that restriction is a way of practice. So importantly, I think, even to those of us who have been practicing a long time, when I, I'm glad that Shinra Suzuki defines to stop your mind. So, so in the previous paragraph, he says, and when your practice becomes effortless, you can stop your mind. Okay. And we think, okay, we have to stop our mind. Even those of us who've been practicing a long time sometimes fall into this delusion that we have to stop our mind, but Shinra Suzuki goes on to define that as um, 
your mind pervading your whole body, not stopping the activities of the mind, but your mind pervading your whole body, your mind following your breathing, with your whole mind forming the mudra, with your whole mind sitting with painful legs without being disturbed by them. Note that he doesn't say that the pain goes away or that you don't feel pain, but the pain exists without disturbing you. And that's to sit without any gaining idea. So he goes on to say, practice does not mean that whatever you do, even lying down, is zazen. So before I go on, I just want to say we we talk about that a lot, how to take zazen off the mat. How do we take zazen off the cushion? And another trap we as Zen practitioners can fall into is thinking, oh, okay, if zazen is everything, if if this reality pervades everything and I, I have Buddha nature and everything as is, is as it should be, then everything I do is zazen. And Shinri Suzuki again warns about that. He says, when the restrictions you have do not limit you, this is what we mean by practice. When you say, whatever I do is Buddha nature, so it doesn't matter what I do, and there is no need to practice zazen, that is already a dualistic understanding of our everyday life. If it really does not matter, there is no need for you to say so. As long as you're concerned about what you do, that is dualistic. If you are not concerned about what you do, you will not say so. When you sit, you will sit. When you eat, you will eat. That is all. If you say it doesn't matter, it means you're making some excuse to do something in your own way with your small mind. It means you are attached to some particular thing or way. That is not what we mean when we say just to sit is enough or whatever you do is zazen. Of course, whatever we do is zazen, but if so, there is no need to say it. So methinks the lady doth protest too much. Hamlet, Shakespeare, understood. So if you're going around saying, you know, just sitting is enough. I'm sitting on my couch, that's enough. Or whatever I do is zazen. We don't need, if you're saying it, maybe... You should look at yourself and look at what you're doing. And maybe not whatever you're doing is zazen. Do you see, it's really interesting how I feel like this chapter functions as this traps that Zen students can fall into, like primer of like, here's a trap, here's a trap, here's a trap, here's a trap. And the trap of whatever I do is zazen or needing to tell everyone whatever you do is zazen is certainly a trap that is, is, is another form of dualistic thinking. You could think that saying zazen is everything, that whatever I do is zazen, is non-dualism, but it's it's still being attached to that idea. It's dualistic thinking. Shinji Suzuki goes on to say, knowing that your life is short, to enjoy it day after day, moment after moment, is a life of form is form and emptiness is emptiness. So here we come to a question I asked at the beginning of this talk. How do we manifest no dualism in our daily life? How is it important to us in our daily life? We talked about actually earlier how it's important to our practice, another question I asked, but now it's how is it important in our daily life, in our life, in our, in our lives is that we live that are short. So knowing that your life is short, to enjoy it day after day, moment after moment, 
is a life of form is form and emptiness is emptiness. When Buddha comes, you will welcome him. When the devil comes, you will welcome him. The famous Chinese master, Basso, said, sun-faced Buddha and moon-faced Buddha. When he was ill, someone asked him, how are you? And he answered, sun-faced Buddha and moon-faced Buddha. That is a life of form is form and emptiness is emptiness. There is no problem. One year of life is good. One hundred years of life are good. If you continue our practice, you will attain this stage. So Buddha talked about and Dogen quoted and many people have quoted this idea we have to practice as if our heads are on fire. So with that type of, and that our heads actually are on fire, with that type of urgency, our lives could could end at any moment. This could be the an asteroid could hit the earth right now and this this Zen talk, you sitting here to this to this talk, to me seeing hearing my voice, oh my God, how horrible would be your last moment of life. And to to sit in that moment, to enjoy what is happening right now, without thinking about the next moment, without thinking about your laundry, without thinking about whether or not form is emptiness and emptiness is form, just to know your life is enjoy is short and enjoy it day after day. As he said earlier, when you sit, you will sit. When you eat, when you, you will eat. When you listen to a talk at Angel City Zen Center, you will listen to a talk at Angel City Zen Center. That is what no dualism is. It's the key, and I, and I hate, I feel like all my words are dualistic here, but it is the key to enjoying your short life, your, your life that could flee at any moment, day after day, without holding on to it. Like, no, no dualism trains you to, to live in the moment of your, of your impermanent life. And that is the thing that when, I mean, that is, that was my entry into Buddhism because I've told this story before, but a, a friend of mine, his brother passed away very suddenly at the age of 22. A man opened a door, shot him, and then closed the door, his neighbor, and he died instantly. It was something, a very young kid, his whole life ahead of him, and then it was gone instantly. And I think that that the, that happening to him made me feel like, you know, after all the, the grief and the sorrow for his family and the sorrow for what his, his life is at the heart of it, somewhat selfishly or actually just selfishly, it made me realize and fear, oh, my life could end at any moment. And what would those moments be? If I'm, if an asteroid hits right now, Am I truly in the moment of giving this talk in front of you all? Or am I worried about what I'm saying or if I'm making any sense or if you're hearing me or how many people showed up or, you know, what I'm going to do in, in 20 minutes from now or whatever. If I, am I truly here in this moment? And right now, as I'm saying this, I'm trying hard to be. Am I truly here in this moment with you all? Or am I, am I not? And no dualism, the practice of no dualism, true no dualism, no dualism that reaches beyond no dualism into back into dualism, encompasses both non-dualism and dualism. I think that's the heart of form is emptiness, emptiness is form, form is form, emptiness is emptiness, that both things are encompassed in no dualism. 
that will tr teach us to to live our our short lives, to enjoy it day after day, moment by moment, to eat when we're eating, to sit when we're sitting, and and then if we have that, as Suzuki said, there is no problem. One year of life is good. One hundred years of life are good. There's a comic book, not to go on a complete tangent, called The Sandman, and in it is a character of death is personified by this very cool goth girl, and she's taking away one of her pe uh, person into death. She's taking them, a person who died, uh, into the underworld. And he's saying, you know, but it's too soon, it's too soon. And she said, you, you get what everyone else gets, a lifetime, nothing more and nothing less. So whatever we have, if it's this moment and an asteroid hits, if it's an hour from now, if it's 10 years from now, that's our lifetime. And that's what everyone else gets. Whatever that is, it's a lifetime, nothing more, nothing less. And no dualism is this, is this key to unlocking us being present for that. That, that it, we won't pass away and have not really been here for any of that, any of that lifetime. And of course, on another level, we're here. We're, we're, we're always here. And that's the truth underneath. Even when we're not here, we're here. And that's no dualism. And I feel like now I'm getting very trippy. But it would be nice to actually be here fully for a moment or for a few moments or for all the moments, for every moment. And the fact that we can sit Zazen and we can get up and not that everything we do is Zazen, but when we get up from Zazen, we can also be fully in those moments would be a really nice thing at the end of our lifetimes, whatever those may be. So at first, Shinrizuki goes on to say, at first you will have various problems and it is necessary for you to make some effort to continue our practice. For the beginner, practice without effort is not true practice. For the beginner, practice needs great effort, especially for young people. It is necessary to try very hard to achieve something. You must stretch out your arms and legs as wide as they will go. Form is form. You must be true to your own way until at last you actually come to the point where you see it is necessary to forget all about yourself. Until you come to this point, it's completely mistaken to think that whatever you do is Zen or that it does not matter whether you practice or not. So I appreciate this. Sunrisuki is saying, after all this talk about goalless practice, a practice without effort, of course, as beginners, we have to make some effort to continue our practice, some effort to actually sit down on the cushion every day or once a week or whatever we can make it, and some effort to, while we're sitting, to practice with an, well, I don't want to say correctly because there's no correct way, but with, the, with an open hand of thought to practice fully in the moment. And he says, for the beginner, practice without effort is not true practice. And Zen mind, beginner's mind, in a way, we're all beginners. So for the beginner, practice without effort is not to practice. The practice needs great effort. Um, form is form. So our idea, we're practicing and sitting with these gaining ideas, with these dualistic ideas, even as we're like accepting these Buddhist ideas and learning about them and 
treasuring them and holding them as the cornerstone of our practice, and that's completely dualistic, that is how we have to sit. That is, we sit through ourselves. We sit through this dualistic idea of form is form. But sitting, as he said earlier too, sitting in this dualistic idea is the way we come And he says here, to the point where you see it is necessary to forget all about yourself. Forget yourself. Until you come to this point, it is completely mistaken to think that whatever you do is Zen or that it does not matter whether you practice or not. So this idea of forgetting yourself, it it connects to the idea we have in Zen of of no self, of there is no, we, we have this idea of I, 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 and that I is mistaken. There is no I here. There's a bunch of aggregates and things that make up Emily. Even though it feels like an I, it very much feels like an I to me, that is not completely true. That is not an I. There's, and it's not that there's no self, that there is not self is how I've heard it described. Also, like, imagine the self version of Emily having a dotted line around it. So there's both this version of Emily that can bump into tables, but also this connection, this overlap with everything else. So this forgetting itself also reminds me, as you know, we know Shinra Suzuki quotes Dogen all the time, of the Genjo Koan. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. When actualized by myriad things, your body and mind, as well as the body and minds of others drop away. No trace of realization remains, and this no trace continues endlessly. When you first seek Dharma, you imagine you are far away from its environs. At the moment when Dharma is correctly transmitted, you are immediately your original self. So to study the Buddha ways, study the self, we're sitting with our dualistic mind, selfing our way through, all the way through zazen. I'm sitting zazen. I'm doing it incorrectly. I'm doing it correctly. I had a great zazen. I didn't have a great zazen. My legs hurt. I want this to be over. Whatever that is, we're sitting zazen with, through ourself. We're studying ourselves. And then to study the self is to forget the self. Eventually, this dualistic idea of the self will drop away. And then to forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. That sounds great, right? To be actualized by myriad things. Other translations just go ahead and say to be enlightened by myriad things. Other translations say to receive oneself as myriad things, which I really like as all synonyms. To be actualized. Another one said authenticated by myriad things, enlightened by myriad things, to perceive oneself as myriad things. And that then myriad things, I think in this case, means everything, infinite number of things. So non-dualism is to forget the self and perceive oneself as as everything. So Senator Suzuki goes on to say, if you make your best effort just to continue your practice with your whole mind and body without gaining ideas, then whatever you do will be true practice. Just continue should be your purpose. When you do something, just to do it should be your purpose. Form is form, and you are you, and true emptiness will be realized in your practice. So he finishes with self, which is really interesting. He's saying, he finishes sort of letting you off the hook. There's all these warnings, right, to traps you can fall into. 
But he says, he ends with, if you make your best effort just to continue your practice with your whole mind and body, not to actually continue your practice with your whole mind and body, even though that would be great, but your best effort to continue your practice with your whole mind and body without, without gaining ideas, without dualistic ideas, then whatever you do will be true practice. He just gave us a whole lecture on don't say whatever I do is Zen. But he says, if you do it with best effort, whatever you do will be true practice. Just to continue is our purpose. Just to sit, just to continue in any way you want to interpret that, just to keep going on is our purpose. Just to sit is our purpose. When you do something, just to do it should be a purpose. So sitting to the end of this talk, listening at the end of this talk, that's our pur- that's your purpose. When you get up and stretch your legs at the end of this talk, that's your purpose. When you walk to your car or your bike or your bus, that's your purpose. When you turn the key in your lock at your home after the talk, that's your purpose. Whatever that is, when you do it, that's your purpose. Form is form and you are you. Okay, so he's giving you back yourself. He took away yourself and he's giving you back yourself because you're both, form is emptiness, you're both empty and you're both not self. And then there's also that Thanks self. So you're I'm practicing really the like self and you're practicing Suzuki the both self and that's no dualism. So form is form like, and you are you. And through emptiness, it will be realized your in your, your by, like, practice. Stopping to see the mind is separate from So that's anything. the end of this talk on the, no dualism. I would like love to hear your comments. I this dinner party and it was during COVID, but when people started doing things again, so we went to this dinner party and it was like really awkward. I hadn't been around people for a long time. It was like my social skills were just felt like they've gone. And I was like really self-conscious and wondering, it's like, oh, you know, am I, am I included in the conversation? Am I not included in the conversation? Am I like acting? And at a certain point I had this realization. It's like, it's like I can't be here any more than I am. I can't be here any less than I am. I'm just here. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, once I kind of realized that, I had a great time. I was just like really enjoyed being there and like seeing people. And, you know, it was like this idea of being actualized by myriad things, right? It's like whatever was happening was like I was there. Like I couldn't be there any less. You know, you can't be somewhere any less or any more than, than you are. Yeah, it helps. I I highly recommend it. That's beautiful, Jason. That's, I mean, I'm going to use that next time I'm at an awkward social event. I think it's interesting, like, I do think non-dualism, and I don't know if I can articulate exactly why, but is sort of related to this thing we talk about a lot in Buddhism of this resistance to what is going on right now. Like the dualistic thinking is the cornerstone of that is this shouldn't be happening, but that should. Like this shouldn't be happening right now. I should not be at this awkward social event. Like, but I should be the life of the party and everyone should be 
excited, laughing at my jokes or whatever, or I should be at home, or um, we always use this example because we live in LA, but I shouldn't get this parking ticket. I should like, I should have no parking ticket on my car. This resistance to what is going on is a, is a very dualistic idea because you're turning away from what's happening and saying this other thing should be happening or you're saying this thing that makes me happy this thing that I like this ice cream cone should last forever that I'm eating like it shouldn't melt it shouldn't go away I shouldn't eat it all it just should always be there this thing that makes me happy should always be there and it's you know tied to impermanence of course but weirdly everything in Buddhism I feel it comes down to accepting things as they are whether it's a good thing or a bad thing and that, that those very words the good thing or the bad thing is a dualistic idea it's just a thing I think accepting things <laughs> when you're making the effort with as, as effortless you're no longer worried about making the effort you don't talk about it anymore but he says at first when you're young and you're training you do intentionally train you do intentionally practice you do exert effort you know and it happens a lot in the sangha and with people especially who are newer a lot of people chiding themselves for dualistic thinking is what I see happen a lot. Mm -hmm. And I never know what to do with that because I don't want to chide them for chiding themselves. That's not, that doesn't help. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so I think the thing is you can just model allowance for that. A lot of teachers don't do that. A lot of teachers are more like kind of scolding will tell you what to do. But he's just making allowance for whatever you're going through. I right? just think that's great. That's like, that's modeling non-dualism, right? Because whatever yeah. you're doing is fine as long as you're here doing it and talking about it and bringing awareness to it. Yes, I, I agree. I think... What strikes me about this chapter is how compassionate it is. It's like, it's both a rebuke, but it's also extremely compassionate for whatever a beginner goes through in their practice. And it's true, it's, he uses the word beginner a lot. And we know what he feels about the concept of beginner's mind, and how important that is. And so does, does he mean beginner? I think he does mean beginner, but does he mean everyone? I think he does mean everyone. It's something that Dogen, maybe I haven't read this, the chapter of Dogen, but I feel like Dogen is all rebuke and like not a lot of compassion. <laughs> maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit of a compassion, but Shonrizuki definitely gives you both, which is, I think, very helpful as a practice. And that's no dualism. He's practicing no dualism in his, in his rebuke. You know, it's both saying you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. And beginners fall into this trap and that trap and... And then he's saying, like, falling into those traps is part of the practice and how you get to no dualism. So he's literally practicing it in his chapter, which is great. I'm just going to stick up for half stick up for Dogen's compassionateness. He did teach me a thing with this koan analysis that nobody else quite did in history with it, where um, when he explains a koan, everyone in the koan is always inherently right. I think his Dogen just venerates all the dead ancestors. So to him, they all have to be right. But he kind of taught me that even when people are getting it wrong, saying the stupid thing is getting hit for breaking the rules and the thing, they're still being perfectly them and helping the Zen Center flourish by doing that. And so that, that seemed very compassionate. But he only has it for dead people for some reason. That's true. <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. I think his compassion is exemplified in form is form and emptiness is emptiness. You know, saying that the wrong thing is also right is Dogen's way of being compassionate. Though definitely don't misuse the poop stick on Dogen's watch. <laughs> will, he will come for you. Thank you, Emily. That was great. That was fun. Uh, we have a basket here. I recommend 10 to 15 per sit. 
Or if you want to become a recurring member on the website, that's the best way to support us. It's only thing that keeps going. We're 100% donor supported and it's always kind of dicey. But if you cannot donate, please do not. Our whole system is that if those who can afford to donate do, and we can afford to not worry about those who can't. And it almost kind of barely works. So...